0: Hi, I'm the Space Quest Historian, but I very much recommend that you listen to the Upper Memory Block podcast, where Joe Mestriani talks about games from the DOS and pre-Windows XP Gaming. Well, hello everyone, and happy New Year! And welcome to episode eighty-four of the Upper Memory Block podcast. I'm your host Joe, as usual, but not as usual. This will be a uh, a news show, just a quick little thing to kick off the year, and um, you know we'll have a regular show coming up soon. But I just needed to do something to get myself back into the swing of podcasting and whatever. Because uh, had a really good holiday. Uh, I hope you guys all all did as well. But uh, I was, I guess, how could I put it? Very relaxed over the holiday, so um, this wasn't a requirement. My company does have uh, the concept of a of a of a shutdown in the U.S., but in Canada, uh, we don't. So I did have the option of working between Christmas and New Year's, but uh, but you know, my wife decided to take the time off, and I took the time off as well. So basically, from about noon on Christmas Eve until uh, the morning of January fourth, I was off, and I don't know. It's just it's it was. Um, Quite the, I don't know, just the lead up to Christmas this year was very, very busy. And there was a lot going on. And I just felt really, really tired. And, you know, maybe was, there was a combination of things. You know, it was just work was work was busy and holiday prep was busy and just life in general. And uh, the run up to Star Wars with my other podcast, Star Wars Stacks was, uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on there. And it's just, I don't know, I needed some some downtime. So basically I spent my holiday... Uh playing a ton of Fallout Four, so you know I got kind of got caught up on on some non or you know not non not directly related to UMB gaming fallout is is related to UMB. I did a whole show on it, but uh yeah, I, I did a lot of stuff with that, spent a lot of time with uh with my wife Just went to hang out with friends and uh went to see Star Wars. Wow, so yeah, I saw Star Wars opening day which I guess was the same day that I put out the last show. So it has been a little while. And, uh, then I went to see it on that Sunday with my parents and my wife. And then I actually went for a third time. And that's the last time I saw it with, uh, with, uh, with my buddy, Brian and, and Bianca. If you guys, uh, listen to the square waves, FM podcast, I know a lot of you do, uh, hung out with Brian and Bianca, so the four of us, my wife Fran and and the three of us all went. We saw Star Wars at the VIP theater downtown, so we had some wine, and uh, we went out for food after. So yeah, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I really do enjoy hanging out with Brian and Bianca. It was the first time I'd met Bianca face-to-face, and uh, but I mean, you know, from my... Uh, my guest spots on uh, on Square Waves, I I felt like you know I knew her already. It's not like I felt like I knew her already. I did know her already, and Brian and I had hung out. So, yeah, that was uh, that was tons of fun. Star Wars is great. Uh, you go listen to Star Wars stacks if you want to hear more about that. But uh, frankly, I'm a little bit burned out on uh, on Force Awakens right now. Not that I don't like the movie. I still like the movie, but I've been talking about it so much. I mean, uh, a couple of episodes of the Star Wars show, and then guesting on other podcasts and talking about it with people I know, uh, (laughs) it's time to change gears and talk about video games, because, yeah. So, like I said, hope everyone had a great holiday, whether you celebrate Christmas or otherwise, Uh, had a happy new year, and uh, now everyone's kind of back into the swing of things. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to do a little bit of news here today, nothing too crazy. I asked for some emails, I got one, and I understand that it's the holidays, and uh, it's an interesting one. So, this email is, uh, is from Robert, and he writes... Hey, Joe. I'm sure you heard about Steam going haywire on Christmas Day during the winter sale. Here's a rundown if you hadn't. There's a Reddit thread linked here, but I heard about it. Don't you worry. I wanted to get your thoughts on the fiasco. I'm a web developer, so I have some thoughts for sure, but you're a software dev and six times smarter than me. Don't know if I believe that. So uh, I thought I'd see what you think about it. Long story short, at some point on Christmas, anyone who tried to access the Steam store or their account pages would see another random user's page and information. No extremely sensitive information was displayed, but people did see others' full names, email addresses, and the last four digits of, uh, of credit cards. At first, people thought Steam had been epically hacked, but Valve eventually revealed it was a caching issue, quote-unquote, as a result of a configuration change earlier today. Basically... The server tools that cache information so that the servers don't have to run database database queries nonstop for everyone all the time were caching wildly wrong pages and showing them to the wrong users. Steam was fairly quick to fix the problem, especially for Christmas Day, but uh, the issue remains that the data was exposed, uh, and while it was not critical, it was still somewhat sensitive. My thoughts are this. Mistakes happen, and occasionally, huge mistakes happen. I've certainly made mistakes myself, never anything this big, but I know how relatively easy it is for something like this to happen. What gets me, though, is the explanation from Valve. This wasn't failing servers or glitching software, but rather a configuration change earlier today. Who makes a configuration change on Christmas Day? I hesitate even to make configuration changes on Fridays, much less the biggest holiday of the entire year and right in the middle of one of the company's largest annual sales. Given how complex server-side caching likely is for an online storefront as big as Steam, I'm pretty surprised they attempted such a thing at frank, at such a frankly bad time. I probably come off like I think I'm smarter than the developers at Valve or something like that, and I don't mean it that way. I'm certain they know much more about these things than I do, and I have little experience with large-scale e-commerce stuff, but from a workflow standpoint, this seems like one of the worst ideas I can think of. What do you think about this? I'd really like to hear your thoughts. As, if I recall correctly, your professional experience, much more than my own, is not far off from the areas involved in this issue. Thanks, and as always, keep up the good podcast, Robert Ring. Well, thanks for that, first of all, Robert. And, you know, this is an interesting one. And, and um... So I, I guess I'll, I'll I'll say it outright. I talk about this all the time, but yeah, so by day, by day, Robert, I am a web developer much like you. at least my title is well, my title is software developer, whatever, but uh, you know I work primarily on the web and um, you know the bulk of my experience is in web development and all that. and as things tend to be, or at least as they have been in my career without getting into too much detail, when you're the web developer, especially at smaller companies, I work for a big company now, but you know I, I worked for smaller companies before, and when you work for a smaller company, you know I started with, I guess you could call it a startup, it was a smaller group, then I worked for a family company, and then I worked for another family company, which got acquired by a bigger company. Um, as the developer, you also tend to be the only guy that knows how the server side of things works work and know how, you know, the application server runs and how to deploy things and blah, blah, blah. So I, I basically got into kind of the whole front to back thing, you know, from, from the server hardware and now, you know, the virtual server hardware up to the code and optimization and all that stuff. So, so yeah, I have a little bit of, of opinion about stuff like this. So a configuration change can really mean anything you know it doesn't necessarily mean oh we went into the web server and changed information it it might just mean that you know they uploaded fixes or whatever and you know for the timing i'm the the same way if if fixes are going to go live even if so web systems are easy because it's a a, you know low priority fixes for me so say there's something that's glitching a little bit for one guy you change some code it's not going to hurt anybody you can deploy a fix at runtime in the middle of the day it's no big deal i do that from time to time It's not great, but it's understandable and it's doable and it's done. Um, Bigger things, changes to underlying data, uh, things that require downtime. There, that's when you roll into, you know, maintenance windows. And anyone who uses any kind of web system, be it like, you know, your insurance company's website or if you play an online game, like if you play World of Warcraft, you know, Tuesdays are are, uh, maintenance day when things go offline to, you know... Or optimized, or whatever gets run. Um, My suspicion is that you know you're saying yes. This happened on Christmas Day. They made this. I was going to say they made this configuration change on Christmas Day. That might not necessarily be the case. Christmas Day might have just been the time that the issue from the configuration change became apparent. But suffice it to say that you know this is in the middle of their big sale, and you never know in the background on steam, there might've been some performance problems. There might've been some issues that they were noticing that we hadn't noticed. And they felt like it was important enough for them to push out a patch, uh, a a settings change, a configuration change, you know, as, as they refer to it in the middle of prime time, it might've been less risky for them to put up the fix, than let whatever issue they were trying to fix uh, persist. So, you know, that's one thing. Now, I do agree with you, and I am also the victim of this. Mistakes do absolutely happen. I can even give you an example. So, in my first programming job right out of university, uh, I was I uh, I coded up an e-commerce site for uh, for my employer, and uh, it was I guess it was what 2004, so it wasn't you know very fancy. It was a company that sold stuff on Amazon, and we wanted to have this a storefront of our own. So we basically pulled data from. Amazon and we provided a listing and a website and an interaction that was on our website but at the end of the day displayed all of our products that were listed on Amazon and checked out through Amazon and, and did all that stuff and th- that site had like many websites do a uh, a title banner so it was like oh here name of website picture of website logo blah 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 and what uh, was requested of me to do was to take that uh, that banner, which was just a, a JPEG, a picture, and uh, create the ability from the management portion of the website in the back backend uh, to change that uh, that banner and change it on a schedule. So, you know, much like Google does with their doodles. So say it was Halloween and we wanted to put up, you know, a Halloween themed banner. They wanted the ability to put that up and, um, you know, have it change at midnight or whatever time we decide on whatever day we decide so coded up blah 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 tested everything works fine so i deploy that change they put out you know they they put up the the new banner and they say okay at one in the morning eastern time on october 31st we want this banner to change over this seems very very simple and in reality it was problem was I'm I'm not sure exactly what happened it was years ago now so I don't actually remember but when that timer got hit and it was supposed to switch to this different banner the server basically entered this some kind of infinite loop you know heap overflow stack overflow and uh, the site became unresponsive and crashed and <laughs> And you know, it, it and I was I was new to everything. I was just out of school, it was my first job, and I guess I was still pretty new in the job, so I didn't have remote access. It was a bit more complex back in 04 to do, you know, Citrix and all this VPN stuff. And they had it set up, but I didn't have access as of yet. So I didn't know what to do. I was kind of like oh, running around and and I just out of curiosity, I had stayed up to see, oh, I want to see it roll over, because this is a cool thing I did, and I'm a new programmer and I want to see my thing in action. And as the thing went into action, basically the site stopped responding and it was one in the morning. So I started, you know, calling my boss on his cell phone and he wasn't answering because I guess he was asleep and I didn't have access and I didn't, couldn't get into the office and and, and it was one in the morning. So basically what I did is I, I sort of went to bed <laughs> and I got up as early as I could, got into the office and fixed it, but you know obviously I know much better than that now but it, it's very very simple to do stuff like that and and you know you want to say oh well valve you know they're smarter and they have a lot of people and they're high you know you know they're very they're very high there's a lot of load on on the on the steam store obviously but um yeah i mean stuff like that just happens and like i said it, i'm sure they did either it was an innocuous change cuz the problem with caching and you know maybe i'm talking about this too much but i really do aside from you know Dawson pre-windows xp gaming kind of figuring this stuff out is is kind of something i enjoy doing changing the you know maybe the the caching mechanism or a setting in the caching mechanism might seem like a pretty innocuous change and i'm sure that they have you know test environments and staging environments and ab testing and and all this and maybe all that stuff that they had run through showed that, you know, this was an innocuous change. It wasn't going to do a whole lot. And so they they deployed it. And sometimes when you deploy things into production environments as opposed to, you know, in your testing environments, in your staging environments, into your load testing environments, all that stuff, it's not the same. Like the, the real world is you're never going to account for everything. And caching it can be scary because basically like, Robert explained what the concept of caching basically just says. You know, say I'm loading up a web page, and your browser does this itself. So you load up a web page, the first time you load it up, maybe it takes two seconds. Well, to see that web page in your browser, your browser had to download the HTML and all the content and stuff for that page and the pictures and whatever else down to your computer so your browser could show it to you locally. That's how it works. That's why you have temporary internet files all that stuff. And a lot of applications, whether they're online or not, use caching. So now what happens is the next time that you load that page, if it hasn't quote-unquote expired or something like that, um, it'll just go to your the hard drive on your computer and say, oh, do I have a copy of this page that's current? Yes? Okay, I'll show you that instead of going to the internet again to refresh it. And then it used to work a lot more simply. It used to work like much like that. Now it's a bit different because web pages are more complex. But you know, Steam does the same thing. And so say you're logged in and you're looking at the store page or you're looking at, you know, your inventory or something like that. Every time you load that on Steam's servers, there has to be a request done. It has to go to the database, you know, that's stored up in Steam's cloud, wherever that's stored. Maybe it's on Amazon, maybe it's on Google, maybe it's on, you know, Microsoft Azure, maybe it's their own machines, maybe it's their own environment. God knows it's been around long enough. It probably is kind of some of their own stuff, but to alleviate stress on their systems, they say, okay, well, Joe went to look at his inventory. This is what his inventory is. He already looked at it two minutes ago. It hasn't changed. So we're just going to take this page that we have, or, you know, this data that we have already in memory, and we're going to give it back to him. Now that has to be indexed in a certain way right so you have all this cached data and the cached data is just stupid it doesn't know oh i belong to joe there's you know that that data will be associated to some form of identifier a key or something which might be a combination of like session ids and your username and the time it was taken and all that and my suspicion is that whatever they were doing I don't think that it was serving up random pages when it was requested. I think whatever mechanism they had for identifying this cache data belongs to this request of this user got messed up. So it just started giving back probably the right page. I don't know. I didn't log in that day to see. It was probably giving you the right page that you were asking for, but it was grabbing whatever user it had available so that's why people were seeing like you know if you're in the states you'd see someone from germany and whatever or the languages would be wrong because it was probably giving you cached state from somebody else who was requesting that same page so uh, it's bad it's horrible was it a hack they say it wasn't eh, i hope it wasn't i really do hope it wasn't and it probably wasn't it just seems like yeah you know it was a caching problem Caching is something that that does have problems over time. So, you know, like I said, not amazing. I like sleuthing and trying to figure out why these things happen. That's why I think it happened. They fixed it. People's information got out. Nothing awful, but you know, having the last four-year credit card and your name and your email. Hmm, not perfect. So yeah, I I, I hope that the reason they decided to do that was because they were trying to fix a more serious problem that uh, maybe we hadn't seen yet. So that's that. Thanks thanks so much, Robert. And uh, yeah, I like these for these new shows. If anything like this happens, guys, let me know if you want me to talk about it cause, or maybe we can like have a little chat because like I said, I do really love talking about, uh, talking about this stuff. As frankly, it's one of the reasons I do this show, right? I like figuring out or like finding out, you know, how games were made and what problems they had free they from a technical or creative perspective or, or whatever. So this is sort of the same thing, just with more, uh, I guess, shall we say, mundane, <laughs> mundane software, which is kind of what I deal with in my, my day-to-day life. So, uh, yeah, that is that. So now that uh, that's done, let's get on to a little bit of news. Have any people ever been hurt in this thing? Of course not. This is the first time I've ever tried it on people! Well, I'll be! This must be that Woodstock place Mom and Dad are always talking about. Oh, great. I'm stuck in colonial times. Tentacles are taking over the world. Time for me to save the world, I guess. I thought I was free of Dr. Fred and those crazy Edisons forever. But now I know that I must go back to the mansion. Well, what possible harm could one insane mutant tentacle do? (laughs) I feel like I could take Take all the world. All right. Well, if you haven't (laughs) figured it out by now, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Day of the Tentacle and uh, specifically Day of the Tentacle Remastered. So in October, uh, back at IndieCade, Tim Schaefer released uh, screenshots of of Day of the Tentacle Remastered, which uh, you know is is they're probably doing uh, in in the vein of uh, of of their their recent remaster of Grim Fandango, and I know a lot of you have been asking. For me to uh to cover day of the tentacle and maniac mansion i will i will do so but i'm probably gonna do it around the time that this comes out because then i can talk about this and that and you know compare and contrast like i did with grim fandango um so much like uh grim fandango the game you know is gonna have updated graphics and all that but unlike grim fandango uh, Schaefer also promised that the music and sound will also be upgraded. I think that was one of the issues that people had with Grim Fandango was, you know, they, the graphics were all sharpened and whatever, but they were still using kind of the lower lower fidelity audio stuff. Uh, so that was back in October. And since then, on December 5th, uh, they released a trailer at uh, PlayStation Experience 2015. So this is kind of the same event that uh, they initially announced this at last year at PlayStation Experience 2014. So the artwork isn't just upresed. This isn't just like oh, we're gonna take the stuff and and kick it up a notch, kind of a thing. Make it display in 1080p. Uh, apparently, the art has been completely redrawn, uh, possibly I assume from scratch. Uh, you're gonna have options to switch various elements of the game between classic and remastered mode independently. So in Grim Fandango, you could basically switch the game from you know remastered graphics to classic graphics. Which is all well and good, and uh, but here you can do things like uh, you could switch up the graphics, you could switch up the audio, and you could switch up the uh, the user interface all independently of each other. So you could have it seems like at least you can have uh, you know original graphics with remastered audio and uh, the original UI or the new UI. I think that's pretty cool. Also, like the remaster of Grim Fandango, uh, there's going to be a commentary mode. Uh, that's gonna have dev commentary from uh a good group here. We got Tim Schaefer, Dave Grossman, Larry Ahern, Peter Chan, Peter McConnell, and Clint Bajakian. I'm actually interested to hear uh the music guys because you don't hear them talk quite as much as uh as you know, Schaefer and maybe Grossman. Uh I will be interested actually, one thing that I've I've kept asking and no one's told me is uh you know, the remastering Day of the Tentacle, but what about Maniac Mansion? And, you know as as many of you know, I don't really think it's a spoiler for, you know, a 20-year-old game, but uh, Maniac Mansion is actually embedded in Day of the Tentacle. So if you go, I think it's in uh, Dr. Fred's computer. Or it might be someone else. I can't remember uh, details like that without checking it out, but I think it's in Doctor on Dr. Fred's computer in the mansion. You go and uh, if you load it up, you can actually play the original game. Now, what I would love is if uh, the original Maniac Mansion was also remastered to some degree, because, you know, I feel like to get the full experience, you should probably play the original. I didn't actually play the original Maniac Mansion before I played Day of the Tentacle, and I enjoyed Day of the Tentacle, but I I think I missed out on some stuff, you know, having done that. So, um, you know, I hope, A, that's in there, and they didn't get rid of it completely, though. I don't see why they would, unless they don't have the rights to it. Anyways, I can talk about that for an hour provided they have the rights to the original game which i assume they do because they have the rights to the sequel uh you know i don't see why they wouldn't put it in there because it'd be as simple as kind of putting the original code in there and you know making it load in some sort of embedded scum vm contraption but what i hope is that they do some stuff to it because hey why not uh so this is all releasing in march of this year. So I'm excited. Uh, I haven't replayed Day of the Tentacle in in years, honestly. It, it's funny. Day of the Tentacle and me are very funny. I, I love the game. I have very fond memories of the game. But I think I only played through it. I think I only played it a couple of times. I think I only finished it once. Not that it's a hard game. But it's one of those ones that I remember fondly. But I never played a ton of. So I'll be happy around March. So, you know, probably the next uh, less than four five episodes, you'll be getting a Day of the Tentacle episode. So uh, I make you that promise for 2016 that in March, by March, by the end of March, you'll get a Day of the Tentacle episode, provided that this doesn't uh, doesn't get delayed, which it doesn't seem to be. So uh, there's a good Polygon article where uh, there's uh, screenshots, and I'll link the, uh, the trailer in the show notes, and all that noise. Next up, we're going to talk a little bit about Wolfenstein 3D, but not in a way you might think. So, we're not talking about the game so much as we're talking about the music, as you may have uh, guessed from that. A musician named Rich Douglas has done a pretty cool modern reimagining of the Wolfenstein 3D soundtrack. Now, this isn't just uh, a random enthusiast cover project this album is officially licensed and available for purchase from amazon google play music and uh i know for a fact it's streaming via spotify i haven't checked i assume if it's on google play it's also streaming by via google play i didn't find it on itunes so i guess it's not there or on apple music but um very 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 cool there's a lot of good uh good re reduxes i guess if you want it you want to call them whatever you want to call them uh i wouldn't say they're you know, remixes or anything like that, they're just really, really good orchestral kind of adaptations of, uh, of some of our favorite tracks from Wolfenstein 3D. So I'd really recommend you check it out either from, uh, you know, if, you, uh, if you're on Spotify, stream it from there, or you can give it a buy on Amazon, Google Play Music. And uh, I'll also link uh, Rich Douglas's Wix site where uh, he has other ways to buy it as well. Alright, so back in the last news show when I had Brian on, if I remember right, I think we discussed a cool article about how GOG brings games back from the dead. Well, Fast Company released an article a while back focusing on another company doing a similar thing. Now, you may have heard about Night Dive Studios recently. In fact, I believe I talked about them in relation to Strife and maybe System Shock, if I remember, right? Uh, When I covered those games. Well, there's a cool article about them. Uh, They interview the company's founder, Stephen Kick. And uh, he talks about how he seeks out rights for games, uh, you know, that he recalls from his youth and all that. He seems like a younger guy. Um, And he goes as far as... uh, you know, much like the GOG guys too, tracking down rights and all that. And I think his best story is uh, contacting and forming a lasting relationship with Harlan Ellison in his quest to get the rights to uh, I Have No Mouth and I'm a Scream. Uh, The article goes over their first big break, which was uh, pitching the idea of re-releasing System Shock 2 in its original form to uh, the current rights holder. Now you'd think that the current rights holder for System Shock 2 would be, uh, would be EA, but it wasn't. It was this random company in Michigan, and that's, uh, a lot of the trouble that, uh, companies like, like GOG and, like, uh, Nightdive have, is that, you know, the original developers are either gone, or the publishers who might have retained the rights spun them off, or got acquired, and then unacquired, and then reacquired, and so it gets all very complicated. Uh, so, you know, they've gone from, uh, re-releasing old games with tweaks and community patches and things like that to the next level with, uh, you know, like I talked about, the recent System Shock Enhanced Edition, and they're going to be doing the same for System Shock 2. Uh, I'm not even sure. That might even be out by now, but maybe not. Uh, it'll be on GOG if it is. Uh, overall, it's a very, very interesting read. Uh, you know, these guys aren't pioneers of this. That's more in the realm of GOG and and community modders and, and things like that. But uh, it's a really cool look, I think, into... Um, you know, a new market segment. Uh, it's kind of the market segment that's that's taken the form of, like, these game archaeologists and these game restorationists. You know, what used to be the realm of super fans and programming hobbyists and guys who, you know, guys and girls who just want to, A, just want to play some of their old favorite games, and B, want to take on a bit of an interesting programming challenge has turned into a real and tangible business opportunity. I mean, you could even talk about Relic and the guys uh, you know... That uh, worked on uh, the remastered versions of Homeworld. I talked a little bit about that in that episode where, you know, they had to go through this old code and try and figure out how it was working and why it was working and get it to compile. Or, But a lot of the times, like we talked about in the GOG article, they don't have access. There is no more source code. All they have are these compiled binaries, this compiled code of of the game. It's what, these are the files that shipped. This is what you have and you have to try and make them work by using wrappers and drivers and virtualization and all that stuff. It's, it's really, really interesting. And you know, like I said, this used to be the realm of community modders and stuff like that. And this is now a thing. This is now a thing where companies base themselves on restoring old games. I think it's really, really cool. And uh, you know, really Beneficial to uh, to podcasts like mine that that people are taking their time to uh, to get old games back out there and make them approachable and usable for people who aren't necessarily uh, you know quite as technical and people who may have otherwise missed them or wouldn't even have been born to to try them. Next up, I just wanted to link to another cool article that uh, that Craig actually put up uh, in the Facebook group. If you guys want stuff to show up on here, I I primarily just take stuff from the Facebook group and stuff that I come across on on Twitter and stuff like that. But the Facebook group is a really great resource for these news shows. And uh, so Craig recently put up a cool article about from PC Gamer uh, about uh, boxes, feelies, and the good old days of PC gaming. So this is, it's a slideshow with you know twelve slides. Just going through some of uh, the really cool feelies that uh, were included in in some games. And I have really great memories of a lot of these. Some of them I find are more interesting than others. Um, you know, firstly, they've got a whole bunch of stuff from, uh, from Infocom. Because they were kind of, I guess, the, um, the pioneers of the feelies. You know, a lot of their text adventures would have really cool stuff in there. Like, you know, there's the Don't Panic button from... Uh, uh Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, stuff like that. There's a whole bunch of stuff from there. Uh they roll into a lot of stuff from Ultima Underworld. These aren't games that I played, but yeah. Uh the 3D glasses from Magic Carpet, uh some of the great uh, manuals from some Flight Sims, like uh Secret Weapons of the Luftwaffe and their finest hour. I, my personal favorite from Flight Sims, like I talked about, was Aces of the Pacific. Uh it had a really great kind of history of the Pacific Theater of World War II in there. Uh, the Stele, Steel, whatever, Chronicles from TIE Fighter. Same with the, the Farlander Papers from X-Wing. Just really cool stuff like that. I, my favorite from uh, Space Sims is probably Marks from the original Wing Commander. Uh, the Loom audio cassette that I played in, I believe, in its entirety, actually, on the uh, on the Loom episode. So much cool stuff. Uh, you know, he, this also goes into interesting boxes, interestingly shaped boxes, which, frankly, I hated. <laughs> And it actually reminded me of a game that I I think I'm 99.99% sure I owned. It's an old game called Ultrabots which was one of those big uh mech games which I have totally forgotten about until I saw I saw the picture of the box in this uh in this article. So yeah, maybe and that's something maybe uh I'm I'm going to have a uh what's it called? God, I can't even think tonight. I'm so like burned out and weird. <laughs> but um uh, hangout, yeah, we're gonna have a hangout probably in the next couple weeks, and uh, you know maybe we should talk about feelies. It's it's one of those things that uh, you know we talk about when the games come up, but we, I don't feel like we ever really reminisce about them, at least on, in the context of this show. Aside from when I talk about them, when I'm talking about a specific game, so that might be a cool topic. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Do you think we should talk about feelies in the next uh, in the next hangout? So yeah, I'm gonna link this one. It, it's it's cool and it definitely jogs a lot of uh, a lot of memories. Because uh, I just, I you know, I do wish, I've said this before, I do wish that in some ways games still came in boxes because I really loved, you know, all this stuff that came with them and it's cool. It was like kind of like all these little collectibles and, you know, I I don't like... Now you, you you pre-order a game or you get a digital deluxe edition and you get like a wallpaper and you get, you know, a useless item in the game. And I don't care about that stuff. That's not real. It's not a thing. It's not something I can hold in my hand and sit down with and, you know, read before bed. I just think that having actual physical things in a physical box that you can appreciate really does make a game more memorable and more special to you. Next, we got a little follow-up to uh, the Homeworld show. By entering into space you seek the stars we can tolerate this no longer so if you remember back to my relatively recent show on homeworld which is what two or three episodes ago I spoke a little bit about the uh, the newest upcoming game in the homeworld series homeworld shipbreakers. So, Shipbreakers was being worked on by the guys at Blackbird Interactive, who are really just a group of former Relic devs, uh, many of whom worked on uh, the original games in the series, or maybe, was it them, or was, or did they work on Cataclysm? Anyways, I can't quite remember exactly, but anyways, these guys have experience in the Homeworld uh, universe, and as I said in that episode, this is a prequel game. It takes place 100 years before the events of the original Homeworld, and this is a more traditional ground-based real-time strategy game that places you in command of an expedition across the deserts of Karak, which is the world from that you start on in Homeworld 1, uh, to investigate an anomaly detected by a malfunctioning satellite in orbit of the planet. Now, if you played Homeworld or you listened to the show on it, you will be pretty sure about what you're going to find there. It's basically a thing that kicks off the whole game. Uh, well, in the last few weeks... A lot of stuff's been happening with uh, with Shipbreakers. Uh, the game has actually been renamed from Homeworld Shipbreakers to Homeworld Deserts of Karak. I was actually initially confused because they came out with this. And uh, not only had they renamed it, but it's, been, it's launched for pre-order on Steam. It's going to be uh, releasing on January 20th, which is, frankly, very soon. Like I said, I was a little confused. This big announcement came out, Homeworld Deserts of Karak, January 20th. I'm like, what happened to Shipbreakers? And it wasn't very clear, at least on the Steam page and on their site, that this is the game that was formerly known as Homeworld Shipbreakers. So I thought there was like another secret Homeworld game that that was being worked on and got released. But turns out it's not. It's Shipbreakers. And um, to be honest, when I heard this was a ground-based real-time strategy game, wasn't super jazzed, though I thought it was cool. You know, hey, there's another game in the Homeworld series coming out. Well, watching the launch trailer that I just played the audio for you, Uh, four of whatever um and given my recent exposure to the game and what i thought about it i got really excited at the opportunity to just be in the homeworld universe again Uh, the tone of the game just seems really really right even though we're not in the majesty of space and even though the scale of the engagements will by necessity be much smaller this does have a very proper homeworld feel to it and, you know, why shouldn't it be? It's being made by guys who worked on it in the past. So uh, Homeworld sh- Shipbreakers, no, not that anymore. Homeworld Deserts of Karak launching on Steam on January 20th, available for pre-order now. I will put the link to the uh, to the Steam page in the show notes if uh, you guys want to go check it out. You are listening. Finally, another Steam release, and one that's uh, interesting and a bit, uh, I guess, confusing if you look back on it. Uh, Total Annihilation is available on Steam. It's been released by, uh, by Wargaming, and uh, so this pioneering 3D real-time strategy game has made its way to Steam. Uh, you know, Wargaming bought the rights to the series a while back, and for some very odd reason that uh, I tried to do some reading about but couldn't really find an answer to, Uh, The game was readily available on GOG, but it wasn't available on Steam. Well, that's all changed as of this new year, as of like December 31st, basically, 2015. uh, The game was made available on everyone's favorite DRM platform for about five bucks, as far as I can tell. I have some vague memories of playing Total Annihilation, but in 1997, I was more CNC and Warcraft kind of uh, an RTS guy in that i was an rts guy at all i sort of stuck to what i knew and a lot of these other rtss that came out in different franchises and stuff that weren't command and conquer and weren't warcraft they sort of passed me by i guess this is another one i'll have to add to the list to cover but suffice it to stay say stay say stay can't talk today uh you can get it on steam now i mean i think it's great It's, it's good for games to be out i think on as many platforms as uh as possible gog is a great place but frankly steam i love gog it'd be a lot harder to do this show without gog but if you really want you know the uh the full scope of of pc gamers to look at you it's probably good to be on steam because frankly that's the first place that i always look despite the fact that they were down on christmas day so i had a couple of other things i could have talked about here uh but maybe i'll save those for another time um Like I said, I just want to get a little thing out here to get me back into the swing of things. And uh, like I like to do in these shows, I'm going to do a little outro song. I wasn't planning on necessarily taking it from OC Remix, but I came across a cool one. It is called Swing Commander. And this is a pretty cool, it's not swing music, oddly enough, but it's a very, very cool, mellow kind of rock version of uh, the main fanfare from uh, the original Wing Commander, 1990, probably one of my favorite games of all time. And this one's actually interesting. This isn't just a remix by some dude that likes Wing Commander. This is actually a rearrangement and uh, re-performance of the Wing Commander 1 fanfare by... Team Fat. So you know the the Fat Man George Fang Sanger and his team, the guys that did the original music for Wing Commander, kind of uh, redid this and rearranged it into this this kind of nice rocky kind of thing, and uh, and they performed it themselves. So uh, this is Swing Commander performed by Dave Govett, who I believe was the original actual composer of the theme. George Alistair Sanger, the Fat Man himself. Joe McDermott and K. weston Philan. So thanks everyone uh, for hanging out with me for a little bit of time here and going over a couple of things. Uh, if you have any comments about the show, of course, send me an email, podcast at umbcast.com. That's that for now. And I'll see you in, yeah, probably uh, a week or so with the next big episode on Sim Tower. Super excited to, uh, to play that. It's one of my, uh, a game I spent a lot of time with back in the day. So that's that. See you next time for Sim Tower. Take it away, Team Fat. control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join.